Support for Podcast by Night is provided by Midnight Syndicate. To learn more, please visit MidnightSyndicate.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Podcast by Night. My name is John. I'm Jen. And we're so happy to have you here. Um, as you know, Toreador was our last clan that we talked about. And Jen, you mentioned that we you felt we should preface this episode because we are going to be talking a little bit out of order. Yeah. So um, we've been doing all the clans kind of in alphabetical order. Um, and last, you know, last clan we did was Toreador. And if you're following the alphabetical order of clans that normally appear in the Camarilla, the next alphabetical order is Tremere, but we're, we're not doing Tremere this week. We're, we're doing Venture. That's right. And pretty much that's just because, uh, two reasons. One, we wanted to make sure that the Venture had their fair share. You know, they like to always be first, especially ahead of the Tremere. Especially with the Tremere. Especially. But also because our Tremere episode is going to be so in-depth, uh, you know, we, three, maybe even four parts, depends on how, how the edit comes out, that we wanted to make sure that they got their due. So we're like, you know what, we're just going to do the Ventru, we're going to bang this out, because that's what they love to do. It's it's They're going to close the deal, and then we're going to move on to the heavy stuff. Yeah, the Ventru, um, the Ventru's still probably going to be a couple of episodes, because they're not a, a clan that is, like, you know, uncomplex themselves they're a pretty structured clan but the Tremere have a lot more going on in their background so that's going to easily be probably like you said three to four episodes um of us just, just trying to explain probably the most uh you know the out most outlier of all the clans they're definitely the, the craziest of all the clans when you look at their entire history venture a little bit more straightforward so we thought we would at least get the venture done because of all the Camarilla clans the venture are the probably the most foremost of all of them so we didn't want to you know step on their toes not that venture would ever let you step on their toes no 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 because if you stepped on their toes they'd make sure you you know danced right off a cliff uh yeah yeah so yeah that being said we wanted to make sure because like like jen said the venture are definitely they're they're pretty deep on their own they have a, a long history um, some clans claim to have a longer history but the venture are definitely because of their structure, it you'll you'll you guys will see that it's just it's so the minutia is so dense that it's like it gives a gravitas to this clan that few have, and so we wanted to make sure that um, you guys understood that. And we're going to throw a lot of words at you. They're going to be some Latin. Yay, Latin! Some some really you know five dollar words, as my dad would say. And we're going to explain it all, so don't worry. So, I guess without further ado, we're going to just dive into Clan Ventru. Clan Ventru. They're also called the Clan of Kings. Uh, I prefer Blue Bloods. It's a little bit more of a, you know, nose up at them. They're genteel. <laughs> they're honorable. They like to think themselves noble. But don't be fooled because, I mean, if anybody's seen Mad Men, Wolf of Wall Street, 
you know, these guys are not to be trifled with. Yeah, uh, the Venture see themselves as the leaders of vampiric society, and they have seen themselves that way for centuries. Um, they have for a long time pulled members of their clan from the ranks of nobility, of privilege, of high society in order to enhance their bloodline and, you know, also enhance their pocketbook, but, you know. Who, who's who, you know if a pocketbook's helping it help your prestige and so the venture have long been pulling from that upper one percent of vampiric society and see that because of that they see themselves as the true leaders and masters of the kindred worlds so more than any other clan they've adapted to this modern world in order to help control and lead it and have done it in a way better than most any other clan among the Camarilla vampires. And like most of those Camarilla vampires, even though it's not considered, not canon, but most people, in, especially in modern day Camarilla society, they try not to say, oh, this ancient history is truth, you know, because it sounds a little too religious. But I digress. Though, like those other clans, the Ventru say that their founder goes all the way back to the progenitor of the kindred. Every clan has its origin story. You know, the, the Toreador believe that they came from some beautiful artist. Uh, the Bruja have their own stories about where they came from, the Nosferatu. The Ventru like to tell the story that they are the descendants of Enoch, who is the eldest of Cain's children, if you believe those stories, which not many in the Camarilla do. But they say that Enoch then embraced this person named Vidartha and Vidartha is the founder of all venture so it's this idea of well you had Cain who is the oldest and then he makes Enoch who is the oldest and then Enoch makes this other guy who is the oldest so that means we're all cooler than all of you and this is the same argument I used to win fights with my younger brothers and, and my sister when we were kids <laughs> I'm the oldest therefore I win but it, but it goes a little deeper than just being the oldest. It also has that that level of weight of, you know, like the oldest sibling has to watch all the younger siblings. And, and that's the same thing. That was That's the argument that they make for Vedartha, that as he was technically, well, I guess, they, did he make them? Or is the legend have it that he embraced Vedartha to be the steward of the first city in Cain's absence? Or was he just kind of like, hey, let, you know, daddy, says Enoch. Let my kid kind of handle the day-to-day -day stuff. You've got so much other stuff to worry about. It's a little fuzzy because this is a legend. <laughs> I right. Mean, who knows? We don't even know if it's even true. And if it is true, who knows what really happened? Oh, of course. You know, the the story as it's been passed down is that Cain built a first city. And in that first city, things happened. Cain decided that he needed someone to help out, whether it's because Cain was just tired of everyone's, like, bullshit or if it's because Cain needed to go take a walkabout, it's not clear. But the story is Cain had Vidartha take over as the steward of the city, and that Cain entrusted Vidartha with that level of leadership and trust to keep things going instead of any of the other kindred around. And because of that, this is why Vidartha's line is trusted as the you know, leaders and rulers and the controllers now that, you know, society has moved on and that, and there is no cane around. That's there. This is the role that they've been destined for since way back in the eons and myths of time. 
And with that kind of legend, I mean, who's going to argue with that? Because if you are embraced at any point in history, if you're embraced with that being told, that story, you're going to be like, yeah, I am the leader of the kindred. And so whether it's true or not, they definitely were key and instrumental in founding and setting up some of the greatest, some say noblest civilizations in ancient history. Yeah, I mean, they were instrumental in the rise of Sparta in ancient Greece, supposedly. And they were the rifles to Athens, who was controlled by the Bruja. Big shock there. Um, so this created <laughs> that Athens-Sparta conflict. And it's the venture who helped, cre- uh, supposedly, who helped create uh, the Spartan war machine in the Peloponnesian League. And it that war machine just kind of like rolled over all the other city-states and was in direct conflict with Athens. And so this created a series of ensuing wars um, that if you want to read the real-life history of all of it, there's plenty of real-life history of of the Peloponnesian Wars. But in the White War universe, they, they're really a pretext for what would become a growing divide between the Ventru and the Bruja, the, the leaders and the so-called nobles and kings and the philosopher thinkers and you know on the other side and they would be bucking heads so supposedly the venture were on the sparta side of that peloponnesian argument against the athenian bruja that's one thing i definitely want to give props to white wolf for is sort of creating this this long i mean as far as we know right jen this is like the first time we see that conflict and then as if everybody remembers from the bruja episode that this conflict stems millennia oh yeah i mean it it's amazing to see it kind of set up in this small little you know ancient peninsula and then it eventually spreads across the world but this rivalry between the bruja and the ventru i think that's so fascinating you just see it happening again and again and again in different cultural and civilization contexts it never goes away it's just like right now we're in greece and now we're in uh rome and now we're in the middle ages and oh hey that's modern nights this argument just keeps going on and on and on and on um which leads to you know broader themes within the world of darkness which we'll probably explore a little bit later especially as we're getting into like the v5 changes like this whole like these broader themes of how this great game is played but yes the venture in the bruja this has been going on for time out of mind so when you hear like oh and the bruja and the venture are fighting again (laughs) yeah what else is new (laughs) right and speaking of, of of the conflict that everyone thinks about, though, between the uh, the Bruja and the Ventru, you know, remember Carthage yeah. Yeah. is uh, is also there. And this is also very instrumental in the history of the Ventru since written history is the founding and the rise of Rome. Yes. Rome is very important to the Ventru. It's very important to the Ventru. Rome's very important to me, but to the Ventru, too. <laughs> So arguably, uh, the the greatest age for the Venture was the rise of the Roman Empire. Uh, the Venture had been long involved in Italy and in the city-states there. And when Rome kind of began its rise, this was kind of a unique opportunity for the Venture because they could really build something from the ground up there. The problem was that the Romans were 
an inherently superstitious lot. <laughs> they were, this was a whole culture that was built on augury, on the reading of omens. Um, they would look to the skies. If a bird fell out of the sky, then that obviously meant something, uh, something cool. If, you know, bird pooped on your head, that meant you were going to be king. I, it was just the way that the Romans operated. And if, for a vampire to be running around in that society where, there is a lot of superstition, but also fear of outsiders and fear of weird supernatural things. The vampires there had to figure out a way to operate within that human society. And this is where the Ventry elder Colot, he realized that he had to work around the system a little bit. And he figured out it was far easier to rule over the kind in Roman society not directly. You, if you do it directly, they're going to get weirded out and they could come after you. Instead, it's better to use proxies. So manipulating other powerful human beings to be able to rule and run things in your stead so that there's no direct line between you and the rabble that you're feeding from. And so he creates this entire system that his child, Camilla, would actually kind of develop and refine into this art of using the Roman concept. This is the, a very Roman concept of the pater familias. And what that is, is in Roman society, um, everything's centered around the father figure, pater being father. And the family structure around the father um, was a, a kind of not just a, a unit of blood relation. It was also almost a political unit. Um, the best uh, example I can give is the Godfather, um, where you think of, you know, you have the Godfather at the center and the entire family around him, and he's the one who's controlling them and they're all doing his bidding, but it's for the greater good of the unit as a whole. That's a very Roman concept. So you get these powerful families in Rome that have one person as their head, and he's the unquestioned head of the family. And he gets to decide, you know, who lives and who dies, which son gets to go do the cool thing and which one has to like take the secondary role where do my daughters get married off to like what business ventures are we as a family going to take who are we going to align ourselves with politically and everyone kind of has to respect the pater as the head of the family it's it, this is an intrinsically roman concept everything about their entire social and political structure is centered on this pater familias of the of the family unit as not just relatives but also social and economic unit they they would take on clients and that's where you would get the patron and client relationships because the pater served as the patron to other groups and other families who helped support the family as a whole and um in exchange for protection um or political movements or economic sustenance or what have you. So you get this whole system of these families interrelated with each other and connected through, uh, through patronage, through client relationships, through intermarriage. 
And this becomes the backbone of Roman society. And what happens with Camilla as this elder venture is he sees that this is happening and he's like, we can use that as a clan. This can be the cover for all of our proxy work so that we as the elder vampire can now start bringing in these families that are very important in Roman society and use them to indirectly start affecting life in Roman society to our advantage. And we can start then maneuvering them to do things that we want done. Say, we want to have more kind moved into this particular area so we could uh, have more food to drink. You know, we could then create a series of catastrophes or good things happening that will benefit us. Hey, I don't like that vampire prince over there in, uh, Perugia or whatever I'm gonna I'm gonna like set it up so that uh we just subsume them and I have my people take over this this thinking of how to start playing this game with humans as your proxies to interact with the regular world really starts with the Roman venture and how they're starting to maneuver these po- these 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 families and that sounds suspiciously like something that we're you know seeing the seeds planted here for hmm, could we say the masquerade mm-hmm, maybe because like we said rome and and is very important for the development of this the ventru being the leaders of the kindred are you know setting up the ground the groundwork the foundation right here in ancient history and you know that's kind of in the real world one could speculate that this is why the roman empire grew so large it was like you know the world power of its time is because of this uh what do you call the pat the pater familias and everything that kind of went with it so grows rome so grows the kindred yeah i mean this concept of of the familias not so much the pater familias the pater familias is just a figure in there it's the father um but the idea of the familias of this unit of people who work together because you're all tied by blood and uh, marriage, um, that is intrinsic to what would become vampire society. Because what are the clans, really? The clans are merely just vampiric versions of the familias. And so clans in any given city working and acting together against other clans for their own political and social interests are really just a modern vampiric version of the same thing that ancient Romans were doing of this idea of the familia sticking together and working together and looking towards one elder who's going to be the person who is leading the clan to do, you know, whatever in the city and being that political and social figurehead. That is, that's all laid out here in, amongst the venture in ancient Rome. But there were, there was one city you know, we you couldn't. We have to talk about it. There was one city that just Cartago de Lenda Est. <laughs> that's right. You, you, there is one group that just couldn't. They just didn't see it that way. They had a different idea about how life should be, and it, they grew in such influence across the Mediterranean that it was a thorn in Rome's side. And the Ventru were like, "Oh God, these fucking people." <laughs> yeah. And of course, we mean Carthage and and the Bruja. So, 
I mean, what are you going to do? You've got this great burgeoning superpower across the water. you got to do something, this, those upstarts. Yeah, and we covered a lot of Carthage on, in the Bruja uh, podcast. Oh, yeah. But from the venture perspective, Carthage was posing a threat to their, their play over here. It's like, who are these assholes just you know, like marching and taking over our shit? Carthage had been a growing imperial state for as long as there been Rome, if not longer. They have been traders. They're, Carthage was founded by a bunch of Phoenicians, and they've been trading in the Mediterranean forever. And Rome was like, but, but hey, I want a piece of that, and we're cool too. And this put them in direct conflict with Carthage. And, of course, the two areas had their own vampiric populations and they were had their divided interests and one was Bruja and one was venture and yeah fuck those guys so next thing you know it's all about like accusations of like infernalism and you know messing with our stuff and then there's elephants you know seriously lannister would totally love this because elephants totally loved it she loved those she wanted those elephants one of those elephants but yeah exactly it's the idea that you know, even a, you know, a good old smear campaign is as old as time, as old as memory. You know, the Ventru get with their buddies, the Malkavians, and they're like, hey, they're doing some wacky crap over there. Why don't you uh, do what you do and, and make everybody else think so, too? And then uh, maybe we can squash that. Maybe we can go deal with that without too much fuss. And, and it's true. And it's in and, and modern nights. We don't know how much of the smear campaign was true. The, there were accusations that the Bruja were messing with infernalism that they gotten the asamites involved in it and and that this is why they were a danger and they needed to be smited from the face of the earth it it could very well be true um it could be partially true um it could be that the venture just wanted to go you know kick them around because you know you fuck those bruja it, it's not clear what's going on here but the excuse the venture give is that Carthage was a threat, and the Bruja were up to some infernal hanging out with demons, and that can we just cannot let that stand. Oh, sure, and and like you said before about the the, the rise of their power, and and they've been trading for centuries. The venture, it just it happens now in modern nights. It's like they are the business people. It's like if anything is going to threaten our resources we're just gonna do what we have to do to get rid of the competition yeah and the bruja were not looking for a merger no so i mean as the story goes there rome eventually after being completely like humiliated by hannibal and his war elephants rome eventually rose up sent an army over to carthage and eventually defeated it burned it to the ground and then salted the earth Many vampiric scholars say the reason that Rome did that was because if you salted the earth, any vampires who went to ground and melded into the earth there now could no longer rise. I don't know. There might be some. There might be something, something hiding under the sands of of North Africa. There, I'm just saying. <laughs> something very old and hungry. Oh, that would be scary. Oh yeah. So eventually, Carthage would get completely Romanized. And uh, the Bruja, who were thus demoralized, they would never, ever forgive the Venture for what they did in Carthage, ever. And this becomes the sort of ultimate divide between the Bruja and the Venture. I mean, to the two modern knights, if a Venture wants to pick a fight with a Bruja, which is pretty often, often they'll be like, hmm, how'd that work out in Carthage? 
If you want to see a Bruja lose their shit in front of a Ventru, just have the Ventru just drop Carthage and they will use usually that will that'll pick a fight awful quick. Yes, but uh, in role playing note, please make sure that it's in character <laughs> and and in character for your character. Don't just kind of like meta drop boom. Here you go. Yeah. Don't just don't just do it meta. It has to make some some in character sense. But yeah. That's right. It, That's right. We're all we're all in the story. But uh, that that is still like t- all these years later, over 2,000 years later, it is still a massive divide between vampires. And there are still some vampires around in the dark, dark corners of the world who are alive and remember it well. With the Romanization of Carthage, Rome itself tends to, over the centuries, prosper and grow. And so that so do the kindred of Rome. So what do you do with that? We've already seen the, the edict. Edict? Of familias, it, less a edict. It's it's just the culture. It's just the culture. Yeah, okay. the, the culture just created this idea of the familias. Um, right, but now that you're spreading out, though, you have to institute something else. Yes, the perennial uh, problem of Rome and its empire. It's like now that you're growing, what do you do? You, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. This would mean that the vampires would need to restructure their how they ran themselves too for the venture they were very inspired by the roman imperators and how they kind of grew up as the empire did because in the beginnings of the roman empire they were a republic and it was all about everyone gets to be you know equals in this as leaders in this society right and they would just rotate through you know different leaders who would lead and guide the the city and the empire but uh, the bigger they got the more power got concentrated in the hands of a few and eventually there would only be one at a time who would claim power and um we see that under Augustus Caesar, Octavian, who eventually would take power in Rome as the first of the so-called imperators. And this would inspire the venture in a lot of ways because this idea of the uh, imperator as being really just the first among equals, but he's the coolest first among equals and the one who has the most sway would really influence this idea of vampire society that the most powerful of the venture in a region would become sort of the main point person. They would be the person who would oversee all the affairs. And this lent itself very well to that model of the familia with the pata familias, because then you could have the eldest in any region. They would be the point person. They're the person in charge. They are the first among equals. And they would oversee everything and help kind of guide the younger vampires and kind of point them in the directions they would need to go. You know, especially if the younger vampires are still kind of weak or still kind of new and they're still learning how to be a vampire in this world, that elder vampire would be the one who would be responsible for them. They would be the one who'd be in charge of all the directions they would take, all the moves they would make, and... You know, they would be the ones settling all the disputes between the other vampires in their particular region. 
And this is the model that they kind of developed in coordination with the a similar model, model kind of growing out of the Roman Empire at the same time. And that's what I find truly fascinating with this idea that, I mean, you, you see it with other clans, but the Ventru, maybe they're record keeping, maybe they're, they, they, their own historians being, I mean, I'm sure everybody embellishes, but, you know, being meticulous, you could see how... From the beginning of the, the founding of Rome and the, the uniting of the, the city-states, they adapt from the, the Republican and the, and the Pater Familius, you know, or i.e. Familius, into the Imperator, into something else. They, it shows that the Ventru, because of this structure that they established early on, are far more adaptable to seek out where power lies and insinuate themselves into it. Well, also that, they start laying the groundwork for what would become intrinsic to Clan Venture and eventually became Maria. And that idea of we all need to have a structure of some sort. And it's the easiest structure is to have the oldest and more, most powerful among us being the person who's in charge. They're the one who calls all the shots. And the rest of us are subservient to that person um, until such time as we move on or we expand or that person eventually dies. And one of the problems with this familia structure is this, the idea of the familia as a unit worked great in, in Roman culture. It, and it outlasted the Roman culture. You still see it very much as a part of Mediterranean culture today. It, that idea of the of the family as a unit with the father having that much power and say over what the family does is still very prevalent today. It's great when you have a bunch of mortals because eventually the pater is going to die and then there will be a new pater who will be the new head of the family, right? Right. But what happens when you're a vampire? Yeah. And the pater or mater, as it so as it may be, the pater is uh, living for centuries, and you are the young blood, and maybe like two fifty A.D., but now it's twenty nineteen, and he's still alive, and you're getting nowhere. Then it starts becoming more problematic. Absolutely, and of course, to all good things must come an end. That Rome itself wouldn't last forever, but it, I mean, it is the eternal city. It's the idea that as it was, things changed. You know, eventually they they were conquered. They kept getting their resources hacked away by the Germanic tribes. And everything just sort of started to fall apart as it was, like the world they knew. And so it morphed, it changed, it became something else. And then, you know, you had the introduction prior to the fall. You had the introduction of Christianity, so that started to shift the spirit, if you will, of the empire. Mm -hmm. With these changes, as we were saying before about, like you said, the, you got the old guy up there and he's not dying, but we're, you know, we're younger, we're, we're strong in our own right. So with all the, the influence coming in, they started to spread out. Those, those Ventru, those kindred, seeing the opportunity for um, dispersion, go into like the Frankish tribes and the Germanic kingdoms, and they start to set up power bases there using what they learned from Rome. And even, you know, there was one in the Byzantium Empire, the Byzantium in the, West, in the East, they had one of their number go and join that, that holy trinity of trying to create the dream. And it's just, it's just incredible. That's what, that's what spurred the idea that my comment about change and how they can adapt to it. 
new people come in, but the venture remain. And like you said, they have to figure this all out. Um, you know, they move up into the Frankish and, and Germanic kingdoms. They they go into Byzantium. They, they learn to take everything that they t- that they had in Rome and take it outward and then recreate it but also adapt it to these new societies that are building up especially you see it like in the frankish tribes because the frankish tribes are all like you know we like rome we want to be like romans how do we be like romans right they adapted like what was it uh the kingdom of like of not constantine who am i thinking charlemagne yes wasn't he was germanic yeah he was frankish frankish but it was the idea that they took those ideas and set up the similar court Mm-hmm. over there it was like but with the same culture with the frankish culture but with the scaffolding of what the venture learned in rome yeah i mean charlemagne's a prime example of how he, like we said his his he's a frankish descent but in at that time it gets a little fuzzy between france and germany because they were all kind of just you know they're various tribes but they're all one franco-germanic culture and he was trying to kind of emulate rome and a lot of ways, you could say the venture probably were a huge influence on that. It was trying to recreate the same order, the same uh, culture. Um, venture are very big on order, <laughs> if you haven't noticed. So it, you could probably bet somewhere in the background of what's going on with Charlemagne in 800 is there's a venture somewhere who's trying to move out beyond Rome and take that influence and that culture and bring it out into a larger sphere in Europe. And, you know, eventually, in as we move along, and we'll see this later on in the, the venture history, some of their most powerful holdings would be in Northern Europe, like in Berlin. So part of the the spread of this concept of the familia as a unit, of the the power of the elder over the younger, the idea of using proxies to influence human society. They take that with them into the new cultures they're trying to now adapt to. And this will all become very, very influential in the centuries to come, especially through the, through the Dark Ages and up into the Inquisition. And then with the rise of the Holy Roman Empire from out the ashes of, of Rome. I was going to say, I was going to say, the Holy Roman Empire. Is it Holy Roman or an empire? Discuss. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. That'll be on the Reddit feed. No, I'm kidding. Although we should discuss that because I love that idea. But anyway, I digress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Vendru seeing that their old world is starting to coalesce into some sort of order that they can understand they seek to regain power in that city. But, oh, look out. Somebody's already there. The Lissambra. The Lissambra. They're like, hey, I know an opportunity when I see one. Boom. Lissambra are like, oh, you all think you're kings. Oh, isn't that quaint? We'll, we'll get to the Lissambra at some point because they are so fascinating. But but their entrenchment within the, the growing church was a masterstroke. And, and they knew that if they could get that power up into political power, they would rule the roost. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, the venture get ousted out of Italy, essentially. The La Sombra are the ones who pretty much just take over. Sometimes they let a Toreador or two in. But to modern knights, the La Sombra are the most powerful clan in the former heart and soul of the Roman Empire. The venture lost out on it. And it's amazing to me that in the canons of White Wolf history, the venture don't hold more of a grudge against the La Sombra. But then again, if I were a venture and I were smart, I wouldn't try to go fight against that. 
No, no, and especially there has to be something in that the the conflict at the very beginning where the Ventru sort of they gained a, a level of respect, be it business acumen, power structure, I don't know what, but it was just no other clan really has that level of respect from the Ventru than the Lasombra do because you know they they kind of hold the Tremere as tools in the background, they look down on the Bruja, and everybody else is beneath them. Well, I don't know if it's respect. I, I, one can make an argument that perhaps the conflict between the Venture and the Lasombra plays itself out in the conflict between the Camarilla and the Sabat. But I would say that if I were to pick, if if you had a Venture and they had to pick between who is your who are your biggest rivals, the Bruja or the Lasombra, they're gonna say Bruja every time. They just don't they don't mess with the Lasombra nearly as much. It's, it's one of those fascinating backstories. I, as a fan of White Wolf, would love to just pick apart, like, what is going on there? Like, what what do the Venture really think about them? Because uh, the Venture do position themselves as we are the natural leaders and kings of vampiric society. And then there's the Lasombra. And the Lasombra are like, we are the top of the social, of the, the social Darwinist pyramid here. And there is no question. You know, there is this dichotomy, one clan who claims, who has all this power and influence, who knows how to use human society, who can pull the strings of mortals like nobody else can. And then the the Sombra who are just like, no, isn't that Queens? Bless your little heart. (laughs) It's just because both clans have dominate. (laughs) I mean, if the the Bruja had that as an innate power, I think there might be a little bit more, you know, tete-a-tete with the uh, Ventru. I don't know. It's just one of those it's one of those just unspoken rivalries that I would love to see explored more because you always hear about Ventru and Bruja. You never hear about Ventru and La Sombra. And I'm like, why is that? What what's really going on in the background there? At least for the Ventru. The La Sombra I'm pretty certain are just like, Okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> they couldn't be they couldn't give any crap about it. But the venture, I'm like, what what are their thoughts on that? I just have to wonder. Well, I, de- I definitely must say that my uh, my interest is peaked because I never actually thought about it so much until we started researching for this podcast. I'm like, oh, crap, that there's a lot to unpack there. There is a lot to unpack there. Considering some of the changes that happened in V5, and we'll discuss those when we get there, I, <laughs> um, I'm curious to see what happens. I can't wait. Because, <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's oh, going to yeah. that's going to be interesting. Oh yeah. <sighs> so. All right, so moving on. So we move as we move on, so does time. So all of Europe after this time is starting to kind of settle down and ease into a, a kind of kingdom versus kingdom. You know, my son's going to marry your daughter and everything that we think of in terms of the dark ages, the middle ages, very Arthurian in its outlook, you know, the overlay, the shell, of course there's some nastiness underneath. Within this, the Ventru tend to follow their paths between power and monetary influence and that that influence becomes heavily flavored by feudal ideas and as we discussed with feudalism and the toreador chivalry and honor grows out of that and grows into it and a lot of especially the young venture there's probably some old ones that like it too but it just really colors their world view they are they, they start thinking yes the king rules for nobility and there's the lords and the barons and knights and yeah i can really get behind all this because the feudal structure really sort of fits their their ideas of how society should be run yeah i mean chivalry sort of i guess in a way lends itself to the ventru um they're already thinking in terms of 
like we said, we they have this idea of the familias already established. Part of being the pater in the familias is that you have a sort of no, noblesse oblige to the people underneath you, be it the, your family or your clients or whoever is coming to you as the pater to seek uh, patronage from you. And so when you get into the Dark Ages and now you start having the concept of kings and vassals and the vassals being obliged to a king or a lord or whoever, that fits like hands a glove. So the venturer are like, oh yeah, we get this. This this is in our programming. We understand this. So there's a lot of younger kindred who are all like, okay, yeah, no, we understand. There are the those who rule and those who pray and those who work. And we are the ones who rule. And we have an obligation to look after everybody else. And then we have those who serve underneath us. And they are, you know, they are the servants who go and do the noble work of the ruler and those are your knights and you know the ones going out into the field and fighting for the honor of whoever they serve and so yeah chivalry becomes really big with adventure and um there slowly starts forming this kind of almost like class of adventure definitely younger adventure from this adventure from this time period who come to be known as the crusaders they are a separate bloodline of Ventru who see themselves as, you know, noble warriors who pledge themselves to serve the the lords that they have sworn uh, fief to and that they fight diligently for the cause of whoever they are working for. And so these crusaders, it, it you know, kind of falls out of the romance of, of the noble knight who is serving for a cause. And this becomes like a whole subset of venture that you see carrying on not so much in modern nights because there's a lot of drama that happens in between the middle ages and modern nights yeah the idea of of a noble patron who takes care of his people and does so out of the noble goodness of his heart and the whole romance of all of that really takes hold in the venture at this time, whether it was ever true or not. And I'll be honest, it was so totally not true. <laughs> so out of this, it's interesting that they should call themselves the Crusaders because during this time, we see the rise of probably the villains of the story. I mean, not just villains. I mean, these guys are like the evil horde as far as the kindred are concerned. It depends on your perspective. I mean, it really does because some people might see them as a tool, and others are thinking they're just pests. They might see themselves. They see themselves as the heroes of the story, a la Thanos and Infinity War. You know, yes, I'm destroying half of your society, but it's for the greater betterment of the world. <laughs> sure, sure. But in into this into all this this wonderful you know nobility and chivalry is thrown a little fire and chaos with the rise of the Inquisition. That's right. That dastardly group of individuals powered by the church and, you know, glory to God and killing all manner of unholy beasts in the night. Uh, they definitely are on a mission from God. Yeah. Kill them all. God will sort them out. That's right. He knows his own. But it's the idea that the, with the rise of the church, you know, you can't really go stay hidden forever. You know, they, they already learned to work through proxies back in Rome. But now, I don't know. Some, somebody got too drunk one night, something let someone slip. But that superstition of, of the darkness and the creatures of the night never went away. And, and now it's back in force. 
Yeah, so I mean, we've discussed in pre- with pretty much every other clan the cr- the threat that the Inquisition posed to them, and for the Venture in particular, it was perhaps the most threatening because they were the ones who were most tied into the mortal world. This is a clan who likes order, and when something like this happens, it creates disorder. And immediately what the Venture want to do is put order back. So we got to figure this out. The Venture were the clan that were leading the call for a drastic shift in the way vampires engaged in the world. And in part, this was because of an elder named Harderstadt. And Harderstadt, he was a Venture in uh, Northern Europe. He had a castle. He was living his life and doing his vampire thing. And he gets attacked by an anarch named Tyler. He wasn't too happy about that. That that tends to make any vampire a little grumpy. And out of this attack and out of the rise of the Inquisition and the threat that they posed, Harderstadt started gathering some of the other elders of all the other clans together and said, like, guys, we, we can't keep having this because if we don't band together to fight against them, then they're going to come and overrun us. So we need to be united together and create a plan that is going to stop the humans from hunting us down and killing us. So one can maybe argue, harder stats the Jon Snow of this story. No, I'm joking. <laughs> so the Venture were the leaders of this new confederacy that they were trying to build together between all these vampire clans. And they were the biggest proponents of this concept called the Masquerade of hiding their existence from humans behind this network of proxies of retainers of other humans who may or may not know what's going on in the shadows behind them and because the venture were already so skilled at this and and so skilled at having three and four layers deep of influences between themselves and what they were trying to do in the mortal world they uh were the biggest champions And this kind of lent them their ascent to power amongst all the other vampires. They already knew how to play the game. The other vampires, some of them had known how to play it. The Toreador are a prime example. But other vampires had been doing their own thing. So as they're coming into this new confederacy called the Camarilla, they are kind of beholden to the Venture, who are masters of this. Because they invented it. And, you know, consequently, they would be take a role of leadership in the Camarilla. They would be the clan that would have the most princes of any clan in the Camarilla. And this really is where you see the foundations of the Ventru as a powerhouse amongst the other vampires in Western society. So, um, especially as European power expands. Because... This model, this model is a very Eurocentric model. And you hit the, you hit on this earlier, John. These are, this is all happening in Europe. So this is a very Eurocentric reaction to supernaturals in in the world. But Europe starts expanding in a big way right after the Inquisition. This is the age of exploration and the age of colonization. And all these nation states that start being born out of, all these old empires in Europe are all being kind of puppeted by the influences of the Ventru. And so wherever the, these humans start colonizing, they're taking these Ventru influences with them. And this creates this vast web of, of 
ties and connections and money and power that the venture can tap into at any time they want. And so it's not just like I'm the venture prince of like Berlin, this really small little town in Germany in the 1600s anymore. It's now, I am now the venture prince of Berlin who also has trading interests with Russia and with England. And England has just expanded down into the Caribbean and North America. And oh, hey, I have a tie to Spain and Spain has this whole crazy thing going on in South America and and, and out to Asia. And suddenly their entire web of influence just explodes and expands across the globe. It, this is something that, uh, as, a, as a role player note, I wanted to throw in that that entire stretch that Jen just told us from the Dark Ages, the Inquisition, on into, I guess, the Age of Exploration. What, what would that be, like the 1700s? 1600s. 1600s. It's, it's the idea that, even in our own history, mortal history, the Dark Ages and, and the history that came out of that is sort of has, has rewritten our idea of what came before in a lot of ways that, you know, a lot of historians were, you know, especially when you and I were younger, it's like, no, this is the way it's always been, and this is where it started, and blah, blah, blah. Um, and and don't you understand don't you see all oh, it goes back hundreds of years because of that the the kindred also had that sort of limited scope of time especially the younger ones and so when a ventru comes up to you and says hey we've been around for thousands of years you're like what and we're the rulers of the camaria or the kindred and you're like no and they got this whole history from the Dark Ages on, documented, they got times, they got dates, they've got witnesses. It, it is a concrete moment that they can say, yeah, boom, we rule it all. Because guess what? When the shit hit the fan, you had to come to us. And we got all your asses out of the sling. And you, not not just that you owe us, because they never, I mean, some people might have been like, yeah, you're, you know, I'm going to give you an offer. You know, you owe me a favor. It was like, they just, out of a sense of obligation, gratitude, the other clans owed Clan Ventru. And it's just a really concrete moment in history that you can point to and say, see what we did. So as a player, it's definitely, you know, you kind of kind of keep that in mind. Remind yourself when you're walking around all haughty-toughty, there's some weight behind that. And even as there's weight behind it, the Ventru history, it, there's a famous saying that history is written by the winners. A corollary to that is that history is written by the winners as an excuse for hanging the losers. There's two sides to every story, and the Venture kind of lay out this this argument of why they're so dominant. Here's why, and we have all our records, because the Venture are historians. They're meticulous record keepers. So they will have books and books and books of their own history, of their own bloodlines, of who did what, and what were their great deeds, and on and on and on. But that's one side of the story, and it's one particular perspective of the story. So even while saying that, um, adventure may come up to you in game and say, "Well, I have history on my side. Here are all here's all my primary source material to prove it." That doesn't necessarily make it right. It just just how they set up their argument. So, and that's also part of playing the venture is how are you going to argue that point? Yeah. Because it's just as much, it, it, being a venture is being in a position of privilege and power. You create the world that you want to create, and you create the history you want to create, and you create the truth you want to create. 
because you are in a position of privilege and power and can do it. This is at the heart of the conflict between them and the Bruja. Because the Bruja don't buy that. The Bruja know better. And, and the Bruja are like, yeah, sure, it's easy for you to say privileged dude over there who's, you know, never known a day of hard work in their life um, and has controlled everything from time out of mind. You can create a, a truth all of your own, but there is a whole other truth that is out there and we know it and it threatens your truth. And so uh, there is that subtext of what is power and how is it played and and who gets to create history and truth and and the paradigm we live in. The Ventru have created the paradigm of the fact that they rule by rights. They rule because they have the power and the influence and they've built it up. And, you know, here's the story that traces us all the way back to Cain and Cain gave us the right to rule and da 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 that that's the story they've created because they have just taken the power what happens when you challenge that it's an interesting it's an interesting gambit to play and that is a great segue into the next bit because what happens when you challenge that power even within their own clan because as the centuries pass we talked about them spreading out and colonization and the, like the new world and break breaching into asia the ventru as well as the camaria influence spreads and it expands and everything's hunky-dory sure right but then as the centuries pass we come into what are considered modern times industrial revolution it's just they continue to gain power but then what happens when the old ways are introduced to new ways and with the victorian era that's a good time to say hey wait a minute how come, like you said before, you know, you never worked a day in your life. Guess what? You now got some childer that might just have. Yeah. The Victorian area is a huge, like, watershed moment for the Ventru. Because up to this point, many Ventru were brought into the clan because you were you were of the right bloodlines. Your family were noble. Um, your family were great knights. Your family, like went back generations ruling some some city somewhere now what you start seeing in the with the industrial revolution and the uh rise of the victorian era is that the true power lies not in lands or family or the family units the familia or even in, in titles and crowns anymore the real power is starting to lay more and more with money. And this is the rise of the industrialist. So you you start seeing people who may, uh, like, even 50 years before, have never been considered for the embrace amongst the venture, start being brought in because they have money. They have wealth. They have businesses and, and trade empires. And slowly but surely, they are becoming the, the leading power in most cultures. So now this is a huge shift for them. Like, what do you do? At the same time as this is all, as this is happening, you're bringing in these, these new embracees, these children who they have a very different outlook on the world. Like you said, John, it was, you know, some of the older vampires never had to work a day in their life, but now you have this guy who's a robber baron. He came, he pulled himself up by his bootstraps. He is a Vanderbilt or he is a Carnegie who he came from nothing. He used his smarts and his intellect and his ruthlessness 
absolute ruthlessness to pull himself up by his bootstraps, make himself a fortune. And now the venturer like, oh, hey, let's embrace that guy. He's going to have a very different outlook in life than that venture who was embraced because they came from an entire family of landed nobles who went back for 500 years. You know, and they grew up with servants in a chateau and like lands everywhere. Two very different venture, but they're both embraced in the same clan. What do you do? And like you said, the, the with the rise of power shifting towards money, trade, and influence in that regard, and they bring in these new industrialists, it's really easy for them to say, the old aristocracy, to look at the nouveau riche and say, hey, you know, you need to help us out. Because, of course, they'd come to their attention because now their business interests are tying, getting in, intertangled, intertwined with the business interests of the old guard. And so it brings them to their attention. They're like, hey, this is a smart guy. Let's embrace him. Oh, we embraced him. Welcome to the clan. Now what are we going to do? Well, you're going to help us you know, keep moving forward. The Venture have this storied past. You're going to make the next chapter happen. And this becomes a problem for the clan because these nouveau riche are really, like, like I said, they're robber barons. They're Venture, they're not Ventures, they're Vanderbilts and Carnegie's who, when they first get embraced, these are not classy people. They're, they are ruthless people. And other clans start turning a, like an askance eye at them. They're like, I thought the venture were like really like noble and stuff once upon a time, but look how far they've fallen. (laughs) You know, this becomes a problem for the venture. They weren't seen as being the elite power among all the clans anymore. They were starting to be seen kind of as like money grubbing, power hungry jerk faces. (laughs) So (laughs) this is where you start seeing a big challenge to the venture's predominance in vampire society is because they're starting to dilute the blood a little bit in exchange for money. Because the venture have always historically followed the paths of power. You know, you money is where power lay, and power is how you get stuff done. And unfortunately, the people who had the money were not the type of people who the venture used to embrace. And because of this, this takes a prestige hit for them. And so they have to counteract that. So the venture's counteraction for that is to take the approach that wealth is a means of bettering the world. How do we make the world better? We we better it through money. And this is the same tactic you see in real life history with the progressive movement, like in England and in America at this time. Because these robber barons get a lot of money, right? And But they're still kind of jerk faces. And everyone's looking at them like, yeah, great, you have a lot of money, but you're still a jerk face. They're like, huh, how do I how do I get people to stop thinking I'm a jerk face? I'm going to donate a lot of money to a museum or a school or a hospital, or I'm going to build a bunch of houses for my tenement workers who I don't pay enough, but forced to work in my, my factories at low wages. You know, I'm going to be seen as a good guy. And that's the same tactic the venture take. Okay. Money is the way we can make the world better. So it's, it's, in a way, it's drawing on their more ancient Roman heritage of the familia and the, the idea of uh, noblesse oblige. It's, uh, you know, the idea that you use the wealth to be philanthropists and supporters of worthy causes and that this makes you look like you're the hero instead of the power-hungry, money-grubbing jerkface. And, you know, frankly, nothing wants a Toreador over faster than if you give them a bunch of money to go make art. 
Yeah, who doesn't want, uh, you know, it, it goes back to, like, the idea of patrons. Of course the Toreadors would think that's romantic. Oh, yeah. Toreadors are all like, oh, wait, maybe you aren't so bad anymore. Maybe maybe you really aren't a bunch of money-grubbing jerk faces. They're not so bad guys. You know, they just gave me money for an art museum. And as we learned in the Toreador episode, the fastest way to make someone look good is get into a Toreador's good graces, because that stuff spreads like wildfire. Yeah. And the Toreador will spread it fast and fierce, like how great of a guy you are, because, you know, you gave me some money to do the thing. Yeah, that's right. But again, everything rises and everything falls. The the modern era, geez, not even modern anymore, Jen. It's We're in the 21st century. I know. In the 20th century. <laughs> so what were we going to say? It's, it's, it is more modern than not. But it, it, this is, when you're thinking in history, you think in terms of giant blocks. And while we're in the 21st century, really, we're kind of also in the tail end of the 20th century. That's right. There, yeah, there's a lot of holdover, but that that's the thing with the 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 20th century it comes. You know, it's on the tail end of the 19th. You know, the Victorian era is coming to an end or has ended. Uh, we've your England now has you know kings and there's world wars and it's just it's just a really rough time because suddenly all the industrial inroads that the Venger have made start kind of crumbling around them as nations start breaking up and people start fighting each other over not even resources but just I don't take that one jen what, what yeah. like, like world war one what the hell was that all about well you see it was a bar fight exactly it was a family <laughs> feud that's what world war one was it was a family feud uh no so as the victorian era gives way to the more modern knights and and frankly we kind of have to consider modern knights everything from the early 20th to the early 21st century yes thank you for for codifying that yeah as we move into the more modern knights Everything starts to kind of fall apart a little bit for the venture. We hit two world wars. You see, start seeing the crumbling of the colonial empires that the venture would help build up over the course of centuries. And you see the uh, rise of two major superpowers who are busy fighting against each other. And the venture are kind of caught in the middle of all of that. So they have to reestablish themselves in a world that's very, very different. And the biggest way they do that is by kind of concentrating themselves in the realm of international finance and politics because if the global imperial economy is gone how else am i going to still keep that network of international influence well we're going to go cold war on this bitch so you know the cold war was a big boom for the venture they uh reinvent themselves they kind of flourish in this era of fear and paranoia so Adventure in particular really do kind of put themselves right in the middle between the U.S. and the USSR. And so they're kind of like playing both sides against the middle to benefit themselves. They were very, very, very influenced or very um, involved in the bureaucracy of the time period that from all, at all levels of government and, and industry. So they were knee deep in all the intrigue in, in the industrial uh, military buildup of the late 20th century. And they fostered that conflict because that meant more money for them and more influence for them. Of course they did. Yeah, exactly. That That is a perfect way to sort of, the 20th century kind of gave them that mesh, that enmeshing of the ideas of like the feudal control over, you know, we we're, we are the people that make the laws. We have the power there. And then later on, you had just the money is the power. The industrialists, they they were kind of at opposition up until this point where they're like, wait, 
we can do both now. Yeah. We can we can hold all the make all the guns and make all the policies. Yep. It, and so while their old way of being kind of goes by the wayside, I, again they adapt and they're like we can hold all the cards. We can be the ones who are pulling all the strings to make the world work in the ways that benefit us the best. But Again, just like always, this is the theme with Clan Venture, is good times can't last forever. Just because you've managed to play the power game as it stands on the field right now, it will change. And now what do you do to adapt to that? When the Cold War ended, and and I still shake my head because I'm like, I can't believe the Cold War ended in our lifetime. But right. the, when the Cold War ended in the early 90s, the whole global landscape changed. And this is when you see the emergence of groups who up to this point had been on the edges and fringes of the Camarilla and Ventru power. Groups like the courts of the Ashira in the Middle East, who also had Ventru in them, also had all these other clans in them, but who have been marginalized away from the Camarilla. Um, and you also had the rise of the Kwaijin, who are these strange, almost vampiric beings from asia and no one had really had a ton of contact with them but now they start emerging in big ways at the end of the cold war so this is something that the venture trying they're scrambling to deal with like how do we handle these outsiders and because these outsiders are now starting to become insiders they're starting to influence our spheres what the heck do we do this also is exacerbated by the fact that at the same time you have Two decades of rapid shift and change in Western markets, which went from being, you know, heavily leaning towards the military sector of the Cold War buildup. Now they're starting to become high tech. And this is when the tech boom hits. We go from like having dial up phones and computers that you still need like, you know, five inch floppy disks for. So now I have a cell phone that does has more computer power in it than you know the most powerful computer that was around when i was a kid <laughs> so i'm like i can sit and wirelessly watch all the movies i want on my cell phone in my pocket i mean that's happened just in our lifetime so it will just last in within the last two to two and a half decades so that's been a huge shift that the venture now have been trying to get a, a grapple on and not just in terms of like finance and and money and power but also social media because with the rise of the internet and social media i mean influence and how influence works in this culture has changed the venture went from being like we control the influence because we can control the people one-on-one -on -one that deal with the money and the banks and the business to now it's all about, you know, who can, uh, the real influence is, you know, some 15 year old who's doing makeup tips on YouTube and they become an overnight internet star and then suddenly they have influence. So what does this mean for how power and influence works in our modern society? What does this mean for the masquerade when we're supposed to be keeping our, our existence secret and now, you know, everyone with the cell phone, the powerful cell phone in their pocket can now just take video of vampires and throw it up on YouTube and get a million hits in an hour. And thinking of terms of time, this is definitely one of those things that 
I'd say all kindred except the Toreador and the Malkavians could either see coming because they live, technically they live forever. You have some vampires that have been alive for a thousand years. And then someone like the Ventru, like you said before, prior to this, they had a... They, they understood it. The venture understood the political landscape, the business landscape, industrial landscape. They knew how to deal, you know, one handshake at a time with that world. But because they think in long lines, suddenly in a short 20 years, everything's been flipped on their head on, on end. It's been flipped over. And they're like, well, how do we deal with that? You know, they're in the upside down. How do we, you know, like you said before about someone that's a YouTube star with a phone in their pocket, it's not just the influence of social media. It's also the business transactions that can happen lightning fast that they can't control. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is just proved out uh, by the financial crash of 2008. Um, I mean, you know, all of us who were young working people during that time remember it well. You know, this global financial crisis hits. And it hit the venture particularly hard. Some of them saw their bank investments that they have been nurturing forever just vanish overnight. And those who didn't have the resources deeply cut were shaken by the recession that followed because now um, they didn't have the power, the money to dump into their influences like they once did. So this has put the venture kind of at a, somewhat weakened state and they're still kind of scrambling to catch up um you know in terms of becoming financial powers they're now paying much closer attention to vampiric society and all the backroom and under backroom deals and the underhanded deals and the venture for the venture this is a whole new world and you know this is a new space that they're having to deal with but if there's nothing we haven't figured out from the history of the Ventru is that they always figure out a way to adapt and continue and to always ensure that they're in the center of power because at the end of the day, it's always about the familia. It is about our familia and we make sure that we survive. We don't care about you guys. It's about us, us and our familia surviving against all odds. And that concludes part one of our coverage of Clan Ventru. Be sure to stay tuned. In editing this one, we found out that it actually broke up into three parts. So this is going to be in-depth, and um, we love that about this. So please stick around. Stay tuned. You can always reach us at Twitter at Podcast and our email address at podcastbynight at gmail.com. And, of course podcast by night on instagram we thank you very much for listening and hope you enjoyed the episode